Yes, hello folks, welcome to another episode of the Global Football Show. I'm your host, always Phil Brown, joined by my regular co-host here, the accent Zach Lowy. Don't forget to check Zach out at Zach Lowy or his fantastic website, BTL, Breaking the Lines. Some fantastic content on there, as always, and not your stereotypical content either. Always elucidating co- content on topics that don't always make headlines. Definitely worth checking out. want to talk to Zach today about a couple of different things, first of all, as we are broadcasting this uh the uk press are going big on the fact that qataris are bidding for manchester united we'll take a look at psg's meltdown and whether there's some warning signs in there for united and your fans who do seem if you gauge it by social media do want the qataris can understand it in a way but there's other issues we'll talk about the ethical issues we'll talk about the psg meltdown um and i want to talk to zach about what was a widely circulated uh piece of media on social media well, there was a discussion between Guillaume Balaguer and Jimmy Carragher about the competitive balance of European football and the fact that the Premier League financially now is so dominant and whether that spells trouble for the long term. Uh, we'll have a, a bit of a discussion about the pros and cons of that. First of all, Zach, how are you doing, mate? Doing very well, Phil. Glad to be back on the podcast. Yes, great to have you back, my friend. Um, lots to talk about today. I'll start with the Guillaume Balaguer-Jimmy Carragher conversation and I'll summarise it for you. So basically, it went like this. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer spoke about the LFP, uh, Tebas and others throughout Europe and their concern about the fact that a lot of the money in the Premier League so uh, uh, is overwhelmingly uh, dominant in comparison to other European teams. Uh, we have a situation now where Fulham and Wolves are outspending Barcelona. Now we know Barcelona's problems. None of those are the result of the Premier League. Real Madrid, they're concerned that they can't compete financially. I can understand the argument from the flip side from English fans saying, wait a minute, you've won 14 European Cups, not once did you ever occur when you had the galactical regime about how would it affect other leagues. But I think there's two different questions here, Zach. I think that um, it's perfectly reasonable for the LFP and other leagues throughout Europe to be concerned about dominance and the power of the Premier League and the logical extrapolation that if this continues, the Euro- the Premier League will eventually cannibalise other leagues and dominate. But, I, I mean, in the early 90s, the Premier League had a similar dilemma with Syria. We have to improve the power centres in Syria. That's where all the superstars go. I mean, England at that time was, was, was almost a wilderness for, for top foreign players. I mean, I remember when Cantona came and he, he was, you know, someone that wasn't exactly uh, top of the shopping list for the Europe's top clubs. Um, Klinsman came and, and and what uh, after the Euros, I think it was the Euros, I think two Euros, um, and, and Dimitrescu and all that there, Ratachoyu, all that, and all of a sudden the Premier League had a continental flavour, but they weren't sending the best players in the world. Then, of course, the Premier League happened... Uh, Sky happened, money came in, and it gradually improved. So I do understand Syria, I do understand La Liga, I do understand Bundesliga saying we're concerned about how dominant the Premier League is going to become. They should be concerned about that. Um, Whether they have a case for regulation for competitive balance, I don't know. Um, What do you think? Do you think there's a case for them to say to UEFA, you need to start introducing rules like salary caps and what have you to level the playing field. Listen, I think that 
there is a fine line between uh, thinking that the Premier League has really reached a point where it is uh, far outpacing the uh, other leagues and thinking that uh, Super League is the answer. Uh, I think that we need to find a healthy balance between those two because, you know, you look at the Super League and I think part of the reason why it was so uh, it was so quickly brought down was because of how it was so uh, and really antithetical. It was the antithesis of what makes football the biggest sport in the world. It goes against uh, the pyramid model that we've seen in just about every single league apart from uh, MLS and a few others. And it, you know, was a closed group, right? A, an, an exclusive VIP club. Um, so I think that th- that is perhaps the biggest reason why we saw fans mobilize and uh, protest against this abomination, even though uh, all of us had, had heard about the Super League for at least uh, five, six years at that point. You know, that the Super League was something that all of us had in the back of our mind. This was something that's going to come mm-hmm. uh, on the horizon. And yet it was so swiftly rejected because of, of the closed nature of the competition. Yeah. But I think that, you know, when you look at uh, modern football today, you look at the January transfer spend, you look at the summer transfer spend. And I think that we're seeing that the Premier League is becoming an exclusive club of its rights. In fact, I actually... One of my uh, favorite books that I read last year was The Club, and it really details uh, the Premier League, the, the rise of the competition, a lot of things that I had never even known. And, and really, when, when you, it, you get down to it, the Premier, the Premier League was in of itself uh, a breakaway competition. I, it wasn't anywhere near as much of an abomination as, uh, as, as the Super League is, but you can't deny that while it has benefited English football, there have been plenty of smaller clubs who have been left behind in the dust, right? Uh, not everybody has benefited from it. And I think that right now, uh, when we look at who has not benefited from it, it's clearly the other leagues, right? And we're seeing how Syria, teams from Syria, La Liga, Bundesliga, they're looking at the Premier League spend and sign all of their best players. And they're thinking, well, what's in it for me? You know, and why, tell me why exactly the European Super League isn't such a bad idea. So I think that as long as we don't address the, that problem, uh, we, we are going to see more support from, from fans, potentially from more clubs. I know that uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and, and Juve are really the only uh, vocal proponents at this point. But... I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more clubs join in if, if we do not address uh, that issue. You know, to, to bring up a good example, uh, we saw in the January window, Nicolo Zagnolo uh, becoming the subject of uh, interest from quite a few clubs. And Milan were trying to sign him. They couldn't really afford to. Uh, Bournemouth were offering a tremendous amount of money for them. Eventually, Galatasaray end up signing him. But... I think that's a good example, Phil. How is it that Bournemouth have more money to spend than Milan? You know, I'm not trying to single them out. But, you know, you look at the 
you know, look at the bottom half teams right now. The team's fighting relegation, okay? Your Southamptons, your Bournemouths, you know. Um, you know, and then compare them to teams, uh, teams in other leagues that are just outside the top, right? Your Monaco's, uh, your Milan's and Inter's, uh, your Letico Madrid's. Compare their spending ability, and you'll find that in pretty much every single case, uh, the Premier League team is going to win in a trans in a in a bidding war. So you know, I, I think that it is clear that the Premier League has done things that are that that are right that have benefited them to get to their this position. Right? They didn't necessarily break any laws to get here. Okay. Um, with that being said, it is clear that we are we are seeing uh, a a real shift in balance and something that is can only be unhealthy for football, for the Premier League to have uh, the the vast majority of wealth and spending power. And I think that as long as we, we see that, um, as long as that is not addressed, we are going to see um, uh, more uh, support garnered for the European Super League. Well, I'm going to push back on a couple of things, because here, here's what I'm going to say. First of all, if you look at the Champions League winners from, say, 2008, onwards you know many english teams have won it champions league winners since 2008 yeah three all right so in that time barcelona inter milan barcelona chelsea bayern real madrid barcelona real madrid real madrid real madrid liverpool bayern munich chelsea real madrid real madrid beat liverpool and city on the way to winning the champions league last season english football clubs two biggest football clubs are currently up for sale. Liverpool and Manchester United. Now, the Ballon d'Or winners, the last English player to win a Ballon d'Or was Michael Owen in 2001. The last English-based player to win the Ballon d'Or was Cristiano Ronaldo, 2008, I think it was, or nine. Real Madrid don't lose players they want to sign to English clubs. Barcelona, don't lose players they want to sign or keep to English clubs. Jules Koundé is a perfect example of this. United spent the whole summer chasing Frankie de Jong again. Mm. Right? Real Madrid sent to probably arguably two of the best young players in Europe and probably the best young player in South America, Hendrik. They sent two Mane. They sent Camavinga. United wanted Camavinga, couldn't get him. So from an English football perspective, are they really signing the best players in the world? Are they really? I mean, Chelsea spent more money in January than the rest of France, Spain, Italy, uh, yeah. combined. Right? Germany combined. They can't win a game of football. They just lost to Borussia Dortmund last night. Right? Um, I'm looking at this and I'm going, is it, are they pushing up the price of mediocrity? Are they really sending the best players in the world? How many players in Premier League this season? You take even like, take a look at the European Golden Ball. Best young players. Who won it last season? Gabby. So even the young players in La Liga are winning things like the, the Golden Ball. They're cleaning up on all the major trophies. 14 times. That's almost more than every English League club combined. So I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say, 
when I look at Liverpool United in the situation that they're in, Liverpool are sitting mid-table, can't financially compete, even though they spent a lot of money. United are borderline solvent, and have been nowhere near a Champions League since 2008. Nowhere near it. Right? I know they lost, they lost in the final in 2010. Um, I'm looking at this and I'm going, uh, I'm not really sure. United lost two finals in that time and both of them were, they were thoroughly outplayed by Barcelona as much as it pains me to say that. I have to say, Zach, that yeah, I completely agree that football has a competitive balance problem. But it seems to me the envy isn't in terms of the competition in England, it's the envy of the wealth and the the fact that maybe Spain's dominance will come to an end. I understand Spain looking at this from a selfish perspective and saying we got to take care of our clubs, take care of our leagues. Also, the Spanish government had to compel La Liga into collective bargaining. Now that is about sharing television rights to make sure you have a competitive league. Now don't get me wrong, the Premier League isn't in love with that idea, certainly the top clubs, which is part of the motivation behind the European Super League and part of the reason why they want to sell international streaming rights and what have you and think it's a cash bonanza. Mm. But the Premier League have done a better job in selling their product. Right? I mean, if I want to watch a La Liga game in the US, I gotta to subscribe to ESPN Plus and watch it on streaming. If I want to watch a Premier League game, it's on mainstream TV. It's on stream. You can find it anywhere. And I'm gonna give you another example. I was at a football tournament in San Diego two weeks ago. Under nines. And it's California State Cup, so all the kids from all over the state were there. By far and away the most shirts you will see are Premier League shirts. I mean, it, you, you, it's, it's rare that you see a Real Madrid shirt, a Barcelona shirt, and I'm talking about Hispanic kids that are now wearing Premier League shirts. The Premier League have done a better job selling their product. Listen, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that uh, the Premier League, they have, they have gotten this competitive advantage by being smart and by marketing their product better than any other league you know uh, and i as somebody who aggressively follows the primera liga you know i, I definitely have uh i have to say that it's it's night and day when you compare the two leagues uh with the primera liga the portuguese league you'll be lucky if you can find three games that are televised per, per weekend. Mm -hmm. The Premier League, you can find every single game yeah. live. Uh, it's it's night and day. And I think that as well, another thing that, that has allowed the Premier League to uh, become the effective Super League is the fact that um, it has really been able to market its product in uh, foreign areas, outside mm -hmm. of its territory. When you look at places like Indonesia, places like Nigeria, and... All across the world, everybody's got a Premier League team they support. So everybody got mm -hmm. everybody has an opinion on some kind of controversy. Everybody's got a you know they think Arsenal is going to win the title. They think Liverpool is going to win it. So I think that's really the biggest difference here. And I think that the Premier League absolutely they have gotten to this point by being smarter 
than all the other leagues. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to the founding members of them in, in terms of, you know, televising the product, in terms of merchandising. They've done everything right from that point of view. And I, I do think that uh, for sure, like I said, they haven't done anything wrong to get this advantage. With that being said, we're at a point where, uh, you know, fans of, of, of historic clubs, of, of massive clubs, they're starting to wonder what's in it for me. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Uh, I just think that the arguments for competitive balance are somewhat self-inflicted because Barcelona's financial situation is entirely self-inflicted. It has nothing to do with the Premier League. You know, and I, I look at that and I think, I don't know, does more money solve this problem? I mean, I, I think that in, it does in several cases. Um, Barcelona is probably not a good example because they have gotten to this position financially by spending themselves into a hole. Uh, but you look at so many other clubs, Bill, that are really struggling to to stay up to to uh, to invest in the transfer note, and above all, struggling to keep hold of their best players amid interest. You know, teams such as uh, Rayo Vallecano, Augsburg. You know, teams in the middle clutches of these leagues. I think that's what's what's uh, the teams that really need this. Not teams such as Barcelona or Juventus, okay? They are clearly not the victims there. So, you know, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, but all I will say is I do think that an unhealthy balance is, is being created and it needs to be addressed uh, for the sake of football. You know, you can't have a league hogging up all the power, all the um, financial uh, spending power. And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned Real Madrid. But you look at Real Madrid spending, um, apart from that, you know, crazy summer of uh, 2018, I believe, when they signed Eden Hazard, Eder Militao, Ferlan Mendy, um, you know, I, most of their spending has actually been uh, with, with a positive net spend, right? We saw that Aurelien Chouameni, of course, that was a, a massive splurge, but he ended up being the Casemiro replacement. They also, you know, they ended up si selling other veterans like Rafael Veran. Um, so they, you know, a lot of the business that they've done has actually been free transfers when you look at Antonio Rudiger and David Alba. And I do think that they have been a good contrast to Barcelona, who have basically tried to spend their way out of problems and end up really digging themselves into a deeper hole, I think that Real have been a good example of how to conser conserve uh, their money in terms of uh, preparing for the new stadium, in terms of uh, trying to you know tighten their belt to deal with the pandemic. And uh, they were one of the few clubs to close out 2021, I believe, with a positive uh, balance sheet. So I, I don't think that, uh, like I said, I don't think that Premier League clubs have done anything wrong necessarily. But I think that a lot of leagues, they, they need to, there needs to be a serious discussion on how are we going to even the playing field. And I'll tell you what, I think that one uh, possible area that where, where we could see them, which perhaps more long term, uh, but I think leagues taking a page out of the Premier League, uh, Premier League's book and trying to build more on revenue sharing. I think that's a massive issue with La Liga. Uh, to have Barcelona, Real Madrid uh, hogging pretty much all of the TV um, sharing revenue. 
in in Spain and so many other leagues we see that happen and I think that's that's a massive issue as well not just the growing disparity between the Premier League but the growing disparity between you know teams like Bayern Munich and the rest of Germany teams like Paris Saint-Germain and the rest of France the disparities in their individual leagues uh we, we are seeing uh that grow a lot as well Look, I completely agree. I think football, European football, definitely needs some recalibration. And I'm, I don't want to see a European football comprised of two or three teams that will win, that are capable of winning the league or winning the Champions League, and that's it. And that's what I think eventually what would happen in a European Super League. I don't think we'd have a new champion every year, every other year. I think eventually someone's got to finish bottom in that league, and I don't think it's good for their brand. Uh, super club to be finishing bottom of any European Super League. Uh, I think it would affect investment. I think it would affect lots of other things. Players wanting to go there. I think all of a sudden you're no longer a top club in your league. And I think the, the uh, football teams need to be really careful. But I mean, you take a look at Juventus. Juventus financial mismanagement has nothing to do with the Premier League. So this is also a failure of governance for me, where governance has been unbelievably impotent in making sure the clubs are financially well run. FFP did not attack that properly. Um, and some of this is it, it falls on them too. For sure, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, governments as well need to start taking uh, a big responsibility in finances of, of football clubs. Uh, you know, it's clear that UEFA has not been able to really address this disparity, and I think that for sure, I think that uh, a big effort needs to come from municipal governments in addressing this. I would also uh, extrapolate that to the other end of that. So we look at PSG and we look at financial doping. We look at Manchester City being charged with over 101 financial charges, which um, you know, egregious. Uh, of course, FFP is rather imprint. It has no legal teeth. Uh, it's very, very difficult to enforce. Um, and there comes a question mark between sport and merit and the financial doping. You take a look at what's going on at PSG. Their fans are upset. Fans rioted after we're in the league. I think prior to the Qatari investment, PSG had won the league five times. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, they're winning it every year. The sport market's taken out of it. And it's very difficult to nourish fans that all of a sudden expect the biggest signings every summer. They expect to walk the league every year. And then it kind of loses a bit of its lure, allure, a bit of its, a bit of its magic. Manchester City couldn't fill their stadium. You know, the the game, the first game after winning the league, neither City nor PSG have been able to win a European Cup between them. So you look at this financial, these state-owned football clubs, and I can understand why you want that in the first place. Like, look, City and PSG success is a direct consequence of that investment. Um, P, uh, Newcastle's success is a direct consequence of that investment. They owe that success to their owners. But when you start buying super clubs that are already successful who don't need that type of ownership. And I, I'm, I'm referring to Manchester United here, and I wonder, is there a warning with PSG? Um, Qataris can't bring anything to Manchester United they don't already have. If they bring European Cups, United fans already know what it's like to win European Cups without them. The novelty of being able to sign players whoever they want, whenever they want, will wear off quickly. Do you feel that there's a warning in looking at the City and PSG models um, for United fans if the Qataris take over? You know, I think there's definitely some valid points to be made. I think that the sale of uh, the sale of United to a Qatari club does raise some very important moral questions. Uh, but with that being said, I you know it is very hard to pick out a perfect billionaire, somebody who who does have the capabilities 
of uh, financing mm-hmm. Manchester United. I think that the Qatari potential Qatari owners would have the advantage of uh, of of replacing a predecessor that is pretty hard to to not be an upgrade on. Right? Uh, you look at sure. how how unpopular. Uh, the Glazers have been, and for good reason too, you know, taking money out of the club. Uh, I, I think that a lot of United fans will simply not care. They'll just be glad to get rid of them. Um, with regards to the links between United and, I mean, United and PSG and City, you know, I think that there's definitely a lot of validity, perhaps more, uh, perhaps more towards City, uh, perhaps more towards Paris Saint-Germain than City. I, I don't have... I don't think that the t- takeover has necessarily affected uh, either team negatively, but I do think that there has definitely been somewhat of a diva culture that has manifested itself in Paris Saint-Germain. You know, you look at uh, how disjointed the team can be on so many big occasions, losing their heads in the biggest moments, and ultimately uh, failing to live up to their potential. You know, the fact is, um, as long as PSG fail fail to win the Champions League, there's always going to be that what if yeah. surrounding the club. And I think that it's going to make it make it just more more toxic. Um, you know, I look at PSG, I don't see a team, I see a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's that's definitely something that I would I could be worried about. But uh, I, I think that one of the benefits that United has, unlike Paris Saint Germain, is they they have a sure thing. They are a top sure. league, and so. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you about the ethics of this because this is obviously something that's been brought into focus, and rightly so. Um, I was a major critic of the uh, World Cup going to Qatar for this reason, but here's the thing, Zach, and here's the reality, right? You know, we've seen articles, Manchester United about to sell its soul and everything else. Football sold its soul a long, long time ago. This is a logical consequence of, do- of football doing that. This is not something United should be held to a standard that nobody else is. You know, my, um, uh, uh, if UEFA, FIFA have been doing business with despots forever, Daxon Cenovato was allowed to take over Manchester City with almost no fuss, right? We've seen what happened with Roman Abramovich. We've seen what the, the money with Gazprom. Football is up to its neck in unethical uh, uh, financing. So my question is, is it fair to hold Manchester United to this standard that no one else is going to get held or not being held to. I mean, I can dig up uh, lots of articles from journalists that are quite pointed about the ethics of Qatar's, Qataris owning United being completely dismissive of the source of Abramovich's money, being completely dismissive of the source of Abu Dhabi's money, being completely dismissive of the source of PSG's money. And, 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 and the list goes on and on. And I understand that when you buy a massive football club, it does, of course, get, 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 parse through a different lens. I totally understand that. And and, and that I, I get it. But one thing I will say about United fans that I will put I will criticize other fans. Uh, United fans have always been able to criticize their owners and separate them from the football club. Man City fans have never been able to do that. I understand why. I understand because their success, as I said before, is a direct consequence of that investment. So there's a totally different relationship where United fans feel they've been successful in spite of the owners, they despise their owners, right, um, and and don't feel they're a part of their success at all, and will never credit them for anything they accomplish. Um, but 
I do feel that, and, and even if you go back further with Martin Edwards, pre previous to, to the Glazers, of course, there was the cubic expression that owned United and then Martin Edwards. United fans were quite pointed towards him as well, and his father, Louis Edwards, who treated Sir Matt Busby really badly. So United fans have always been on point when it comes to this. I accept we're in a totally different generation. I accept that with social media, the, the conversations completely changed and I get why Newcastle fans wanted the Saudis there. They hadn't won a trophy in, you know, since the first cup in the 60s. Hadn't, you know, massive football club. They wanted to finance and they wanted to compete. They were continuing every year. They were at the bottom of the league and just about to survive. I totally understand that, right? But I just feel that um, what we're seeing isn't the result of um, Manchester United being unethical or you know they lose their soul if they if they're bought because is it really fair to expect fans to turn around now and say you know what i'm no longer supporting this football club on ethical grounds because at the end of the day it's really and i even felt sorry for eddie Howe in a, in a, in a sense being asked these questions because truthfully he's not the gatekeeper the gatekeeper is governance it's up to the the, the governing bodies to turn around and say no we're not letting this happen there's no chance of the Qataris being excluded from buying Manchester United on ethical grounds. You could have to do it on legal grounds, but there's no way the British government are turning down a six billion investment in the current climate. And given that football's up to its neck and dirty money, there's no way they'd have legal standing to stop the Qataris, in my opinion, buying a football club. Yeah, I mean, look, the fact is, you look at the current climate of, of football, okay? Newcastle being owned by the Saudis, uh, Manchester City being owned uh, by Emiratis, the World Cup being played in Qatar. I don't think that you can necessarily hold any uh, United fan accountable and say, how dare you support you know, this takeover and try to guilt trip them. Um, every, every, I'm sure that each individual United fan will come to their own conclusions. You know, Some will be opposed to a Qatari takeover, I expect the overwhelming majority to not be, but um, I think that the fact is so much, there, there's really just so much dirty money in the game at, at, at this point that it's, it's hard to uh, hold any of them to a standard. You know, we saw this with uh, Roman Abramovich, you know, somebody who didn't really, didn't commit any uh, heinous crimes, but was a, a tremendous supporter of Vladimir Putin. And, you know, that in of itself, was, was enough grounds for him to be pushed out. So I think that, you know, it's, it's a great example of why none of these owners are perfect. Um, you know, I, I think that, I, I, I don't know if there's been any official offers from uh, Qatari leadership for Manchester United, but I do there think has. that yes. the fact is... They, they uh, have, they bid for it already. Okay. Yeah, well, I the that, fact. Yeah, I I, I got really good information on this towards the end of December. As the yeah. British press have gone big with it to, tonight. Uh, five billion pound offer. Um, there's other interested parties too, of course. Um, but uh, yeah. Sorry, let me carry on. No, just the the fact is, I I don't think that many United fans are going to be too arsed about uh, whether or not this this. Um, this new owner is um, clean. You know, how many owners are clean? No, and, and it really brings into focus another point 
about billionaires. I mean, I don't want to see, there was rumours Elon Musk was interested. I don't want to see Elon Musk at Manchester United. I don't want to see yep. Elon Musk sitting Eric Ten Hag down going, murmur mur, on the wall, who's the best of them all? If Eric doesn't give him a right answer, you're fired. And it all depends on what you want in the political spectrum, depends on what you think of Elon Musk. Um, I, I understand that. There's some people who love him, but I don't think, you know, I, I understand these clubs are all plutocrats play things anyway, but I don't think that that's something that I, I would be, it would appeal to me at all. Um, so, um, you know, if you take a look at what he done with Twitter, he put himself front and centre. And I would be con- I'd be concerned we'd have another Glazer situation um, at United, maybe not with a debt, but someone that, uh, you know, really used the club in all the wrong ways for for his ego. And so, you know, the thing is, like, uh, I, I look at this, and I think um, I don't want the Qataris to own United. Uh, I would prefer someone with ethics to own a football club that runs a club commensurate with his values and doesn't do what happened at Newcastle where the shirt changes colour and all this nonsense, right? That, that remains true to... I mean I, I mean, I look at Chelsea. I wouldn't want that at my football club. I wouldn't want Eric Ten Hag to have 10, 12 players foisted upon him. I mean, it would completely ruin it for me. You know, I want to be run like a football club for the first time and maybe 17 now since Ferguson left United being run like a football club and it feels great and I don't want to see someone come in and, and completely change that I mean I don't know if you saw the game at Barcelona tonight did you see it? Yeah I did absolutely magnificent two European giants like it was like Ali Fraser right uh, you know they just went after each other it was a magnificent spectacle you know had a bit of everything you know, and so for me, part of the attractive attraction of European football is to make sure those games still exist. I don't want to see United ruin it. For, I don't want to see a situation where United are winning every trophy every year um, and running away with things because no one can match their finance. And I, I, I don't want to see that because it does take the merit out of it. And when you kind of take the merit out of it, it feels a bit fake. And I have no doubt that City fans... A part of them it feels that way um, I'm sure it wouldn't feel that way if they won the European Cup because they desperately want to do that but I don't know I think over the course of time it gets harder and harder to nourish that whenever you know you adjust to their, I mean don't get me wrong there's certain things I desperately love to be gone from United but I'm not sure I want to see the football club be run in that capacity Zach but, uh, but I think that's more or less where it's going. I mean, you even look at Spurs. Spurs are for sale too. Right? I'm possibly going to be taking over a massive football club. And I just think when you have... Because when you have clubs at the very top... I mean, Liverpool United are in a situation where they're saying, we just cannot compete financially with the top clubs anymore. You know, we, we've, we've looked... United have really liquidated that asset to, uh, to the hilt and there's no more money to squeeze out of it. It's impossible to compete anymore but uh it, it is going to be really really interesting to see what happens i want to get your opinion quickly on the city charges and what you think will happen there with regards to the manchester city financial breaches sure you know i'm very skeptical of them facing any real uh danger just because you know you you look at the previous the past 10 years or so you know uefa and uh the financial the footballing authorities you know, having the opportunity to step in and do something about their wild spending. We didn't really see that much in the way of punitive action. Uh, but I do think that this this entire uh, 
this entire scandal, shall we say, because, you know, you look at the reports and it is it very much a scandal. I think that if we don't see any punitive action from uh, UEFA, from the Premier League, from the footballing authorities, uh, we can basically consider financial fair play and, and their jurisdiction exactly. pretty much invalid. This is really a litmus test to see, you know, is uh, should we put any value any more in, in uh, financial fair play? Well, of course, and it really is. It it, mean, it, it means it's it, it's completely worthless. But this is a domestic issue for the Premier League, and this is about integrity. And we talk about the integrity of the sport, and you know it's often you know used more as a slogan than it actually has any meaning behind the words. But other countries have introduced stiff FFP rules. La Liga being one of them, right? As Barcelona found out, and. The question then becomes, what's the incentive for the other clubs to comply with this? And other clubs have been punished for FFP breaches. I mean, we saw Juventus get a huge points uh, uh, deduction due to, you know, obviously Hayden, transfer fees and everything else, partly to comply with the FFP. You know, what's the point of any of that? If Manchester City... And I don't, I, I'm not certain they should be stripped their titles. This is not me as a bloody United fan saying let's strip them of their titles. But this is about setting precedent and this is about going forward. And if we ever want to restore any type of balance, especially sending a message to potential new owners of Manchester United, you know, there's stiff penalties here. Because if this doesn't happen, what this will do, in my opinion, is the teams at the bottom are going to be in serious trouble because they can't match anything close to that spending. And it's not just at the top end. Like, what I'm talking about how much they've ruined academies. I mean, City and Chelsea have the best two academies in the country. They're paying Jaden Sancho's parents at 14, a couple of hundred grand in Banner House. I mean, this is, this is, this is not right. And, and I think that the integrity of football I mean, you know, people criticize American sport and culture, but one thing they do get right, in my opinion, is they make it hard to have dynasties. They make it hard for one team to completely dominate. And they have, you know, they, they, they have things like uh, salary caps, which I believe football needs, really does need. Um, I think that that would be one way, if FFP doesn't work, to real and, and I accept that there's you know city. I mean, I mean, you look at Juventus what they did with Pjanic, right? Why is it any different than what City did with Mancini? I mean, they paid Mancini in offshore accounts to hide what they were paying him to comply with the FFP. You know that that that. So why shouldn't they get a very heavy points deduction? I mean, if the Premier League want to give the illusion or the or a veneer of respectability that they care about this. They owe this to the other 19 members of that, 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 and, and Pep Guardiola playing the victim. I'm sorry, you're not a victim in this. Mm. Well, I, I think that I'm, I'm not too familiar with the Mancini story. I think that, I, I think that with regards to. So basically, I'll, I'll tell you what they did, right? So they had two, they, they were paying Mancini a wage on the books, right? So let's say for talk's sake, they were paying him 4 million on the books. And then they were paying him in an offshore account, right? Rediverting that through a couple of different companies and not, con- not declaring that. So 
they were so essentially they had a compensation package for for people that was not being declared in their accounts so they could comply with the ffp so you know pep guardiola was asked this are you being paid in an offshore account uh, in a similar way that Mancini was, and he, and he okay, may, maybe he, it's understandable if he's not, he reacted mm-hmm. uh, to the question emotionally. I think he was asked this to, at the end of last season after City won the league. But, it's, but Pep has to understand, these are extremely reasonable questions as a result of the conduct of the football club. If you look at the emails from Der Spiegel, it's like, they're awful. I mean, yep. the, 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 there's, there's, I haven't seen nothing that exculpates him. He says, oh, we were, we, were, we were not found guilty. No, you were found guilty. They changed the, 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 the punishment to a fine. I mean, they don't find this in football clubs. And, and you know, you should have had a Champions League suspension, in my opinion. But nonetheless, okay, you know, um, yeah. I, I don't think FFP is applied properly. I can understand City's frustration with it, totally. But why is that? that I mean, they were cooking the books to comply with the FFP. So were Juventus. Yeah. So why look what happened to them this season? Well, I mean, it, 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 it's if they get away with a fine, and forgive my for you know colloquialisms here, but um, as I pointed out before, fine in cities like fine in Chapel at uh, Naples. I mean, yeah. it, it's utterly pointless. I mean, there's no that 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 does nothing because, as you and I both know, when companies are breaking the law. The thing that they factor into the cost of doing business is the punitive fine. When the banks are laundering money for cartels, they know they're going to get fined when they get caught. They factor that in. It's a tax. It's a cost of doing business tax. They benefit to the tune of billions and they get a $100 million fine. So what? It's meaningless. Unless there's real punitive uh, uh, um, um, uh, consequences and, and it's, it's purely fiscal... It, it's worthless. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, comparing the two situations, Juventus uh, having kind of, shall we say, cooked the books with the Arthur and Pjanic deal, you know, it was clear that neither of these two players were 80 million players or whatever they were going for. Um, and, you know, you compare that to hiding up the finances. I think, but the biggest difference between the two situations, Phil, is that. Manchester City, you know, while they are going through the situation, this investigation, they are still being backed uh, generously by their owners, by their Emirati owners. Juventus don't necessarily have that luxury. And I think that we, we've already seen uh, pretty much the entire front office of uh, Juve, you know, depart. Really, the only buddy who's who stayed put, Maximiliano Allegri, um, but I think that Juve are going to have to deal uh, severely with these with these consequences, Phil. I think that we are going to see a lot of major departures in the summer. Players such as Angel yeah. Di Maria, and, you know, and Angel Di Maria, potentially Paul Pogba. I'm not sure if they will be able to potentially uh, rescind his contract, given the fact what that he hasn't been able that's to been. play a single match. Um, you know, trying to think of other names, I believe. Danilo, Alexandro, but also, you know, not just these aging veteran players who, who, uh, who are uh, on a big contract, as well as players such as Adrian Rabiot, who they would like to renew. You know, you would imagine they'd, they'd like to renew. 
is Rabio going to want to, uh, you know, continue at a club that is going to take a financial dog and that is likely not going to be playing Champions League football? I'm not so sure. So once again, when whenever you are setting up a new uh, law, a, a new lay of the land, you need to establish consistency. Whether mm-hmm. that's you know talking about VAR or a new refereeing decision, you just need to make it fair for everybody. And when you have a team like Juventus suffering the consequences and uh, and you know taking a fifteen point deduction, you compare it with other teams, you know such as Manchester City getting away with it. I think that it really becomes hard for for teams to take it seriously. You know, I think you know an, another team that I could mention is Everton. Uh, we saw just how much uh, the being. Um, monitored by FFP really affected them these past two summers. They only signed one player on a transfer fee last summer, and then this summer really affected what uh, by it. You know, weren't able to fill uh, the whole attack following Rudy Charleston's departure. Really hamstrung there. So it's one rule for one team, another uh, rule for another team. That's why I think that it is imperative for the footballing authorities to come down hard on Manchester City uh, and to a point where. They can't just, you know, just uh, um, give them a massive fine that City are going to be able to pay in an instant. I completely agree with that, my friend. Uh, Zach, we are almost at the time, mate. So thank you, as always, for doing this. I'll be back again next week. I'm available Monday if you're a boy. We can record Monday. Let's bang another podcast out. I'll always have fun doing this. Um, been sick all week, but I'm, I'm glad I was able to make this happen thank you as always mate for taking the time to record and uh we will be back again next week take it easy brother